Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. You can be seated. You can be seated. Thank you so, so, so much. I, uh, I really genuinely appreciate it. Uh, on behalf of my family, I'm thankful that, uh, that I'm wearing a microphone and I get the last word. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But uh, I, I really am so, so incredibly thankful for this place. Um, some of you may say, North Carolina, I didn't, I thought you'd been talking about Tennessee a lot. Well, not anymore. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm just kidding. I, I married into my love for Tennessee. I married a girl from Knoxville. I didn't really have a team that was any good up to that point. And so, but if you cut me open, I bleed Carolina blue. I was born in High Point, North Carolina, lived there for the first few years of my life, so thank you for that. That's incredible. But uh, I, I am uh, incredibly thankful for this place, and I'm going to preach in a second, but let me just say thank you to the staff, to Pastor Aaron and all of our team that was just a part of that, and to our trustees. Uh, I'm thankful for, for them. They helped to provide incredible uh, service to this place and to me, and they serve you very well in the advisement that they give to me and to our team as we uh, chase what God's calling us to do to our elder couples, to the G team, uh, to all of you who have just given your hearts and lives to this place as we lock arms and try to create a place that is a place for anyone who would ever find this place looking for God, that we would be a place that they would find God here, but they would also find a group of people that would love them unconditionally. And so I'm thankful for people that have committed their heart to that. And uh, that's our heart, not just in this location, but also in future communities and cities to come, but uh, I'm thankful for that. I, I am thankful that uh, you honored our kids. Uh, I, I am a, a PK, a pastor's kid, and uh, that's not an easy job for a lot of different reasons. Kid, being a kid in general is difficult, but uh, being a pastor's kid has its own unique challenges. For one, how would you like to go home with the pastor every day, right? If I just came to your house every day, how would, that, that's the, my, my, my kids have a parent that is also their pastor, um, but they also, their spiritual family, you, and those who have been a part of this journey over these last 11 years, love them so well. But then there have been times when those people felt for a number of reasons that maybe it was time to go. And so then their spiritual family gets disrupted. And, you know, sometimes it's because they were mad at mom or dad and uh, mad at the church. And, and they, they have to process that in, in young ages sometimes when they're not really sure what that looks like and to stay you know, sane and stay connected to God and their faith. And, and, uh, and then too, sometimes, and this is not true here. I, I genuinely mean that. This is not true here. But so often, pastor's kids get the unfortunate kind of responsibility to carry a spiritual, you know, maturity that is far beyond the years of their life. And so they get kind of judged unfairly. But you, you've never done that to our kids. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm just thankful for the way you love our kids. Because uh, they love this place, and, uh, and so I'm thankful for that. And, and then to Corey, I wouldn't, wouldn't want to do this uh, without you, just walking hand in hand. She's the creative genius. Her, her fingerprints are literally all over this place. Uh, every color, every fabric, every design, every uh, creative idea, every ministry and program has Corey's touch on it. And, uh, and so I'm so thankful for you and your heart for Jesus and your heart for the women and the families of this church. And so... Uh, I, I just want you to know how much we love you. I, I have said a number of times that we have five kids. Uh, we have Cooper, Branson, Tucker, Kinley, 
and Generations Church. And, uh, and so we think about you, we dream about you, we pray for you all the time. But uh, we absolutely love and feel called to this place. And so thank you so much for that today. I, I genuinely feel appreciated. We do. And I'm, I'm just thankful for you. Uh, there's, there's so many great things that have been happening in our church over the last few days and weeks. But one of them, just kind of to, to piggyback on that, I was going to talk about this and you know, just we're kind of started a little differently there. But this last Thursday night, we had an incredible night for the ladies of our church and community called Woven. Uh, if you were here, give me a little woohoo. Yeah, there was a bunch of you, and you were loud, and uh, they, they, they posted some pictures up here for you to see. But we had an incredible night uh, that Corey and a, and a team of people helped to put together. But it just really started as a, a dream in Corey's heart, and she's done it a number of times in the past. But just a great night of worship and fun and fellowship and uh, just an incredible word from our guest speaker. And so if you missed it, we missed you, but we'll do it again. So make sure next time you're here. And uh, just a really, really, really great night. Thanks to the men who came and served as well. And uh, I know that there are some ladies that weren't able to be here or you came but couldn't get some of the woven gear or merchandise. They've got that today. So you can get you a shirt. You actually get to design it yourself, which is really cool. Uh, we've never done that before, but really, really cool. You get to kind of put it together yourself. So you can go. There's a table there in the lobby, and they'll help get that connected for you. Uh, we'd love to put that in your hands. And then you heard two things. I just want to say this because they're important to me. Next week, salsa with the staff. Uh, if you know me at all, you know I love Mexican food. Uh, and so I got to, oh, it's going to be a good day. I mean, I feel the energy in the room right there. Uh, I mentioned salsa got a hallelujah. I don't know what happened, but revival's breaking out in the room. Uh, but if you're, if you're relatively new to our church, we'd love to get to know you, get to meet you, for you to get to know us. So it's just right after church next week. And so we'd love for you to just go register. It's free for you, but it just helps us to plan for you. And then in two weeks is Baptism Sunday. Some of our favorite Sundays of the year are the Sundays where we get to celebrate life change. And so we want you to come and be baptized. If you've never been baptized, you've recently made a decision to follow Jesus or what we would call a recommitment, and you just want to go public with that decision. We want to baptize you and celebrate as a church family. So make sure you go sign up for those things as well. So uh, today, with the remainder of our time, I promise not to keep you too long, but with the remainder of our time, I want to I begin a new series we're going to spend the next few weeks kind of unpacking together on this idea of legacy. Legacy could mean a lot of different things to you and to me, but uh, I looked up some definitions, and they all kind of pointed in this general direction, but the word legacy could mean a gift by will, like leaving in your will, uh, especially of money or personal properties to someone. Or a second definition could be something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or a predecessor. So this is the idea that those who come before leave something for those who come after. And so when you start thinking about that, obviously it has a monetary context in so many different ways. I'm going to leave in my will. I'm going to bequeath to you something that, that came from my possessions. I'm leaving you money or a house or a whatever. But th that's, this is not a money series. This is not a financial message today, though that, that definitely could have some context for you as you begin planning for the next season of your life or the, life that, the season of life you're in now or as you think about those that are coming after you. But when I'm thinking about legacy, I recognize that there is something that all of us are going to pass on. Whether you want to intentionally or not, you're going to pass some things on. The second part of that definition said something transmitted by or received from predecessors. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 22 says this, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. 
And so when I think about that, again, you might think, okay, inheritance, the only way that I've ever heard that used is in a monetary context. But this original word in the original language here of Scripture, because you know that Scripture wasn't written in English, right? Everybody's got a good amen right there. So in the original text here, the word inheritance is used over and over. It's actually used about 60 times in the Old Testament. And most of those occurrences in the Old Testament are pointing to the children of Israel, And when it's pointing to the children of Israel, it is connected to the promises of God and the land of Canaan. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, I referenced this just a few minutes ago as I was talking about how much I love that narrative of the children of Israel. In the first really five, six, seven uh, seven books of the Old Testament, as we begin to see them move and then be formed and then take over the promises of God and then be disobedient and obedient and disobedient, and really all of the Old Testament could be connected back to that origin story. But the idea here is that God promised to good old father Abraham that there was going to be a place that they would land. Eventually, that those those ancestors, those that were, I'm sorry, those those, those uh, heirs would come uh, after him, and, and they would be more than the stars in the sky. And and he was like, I don't really have, I don't know what you're talking about. I got nobody. Okay, I got one, and and so they're going to begin to multiply. But as they multiply, they're going to go and become a people in a specific place. And this promise of God that started there in uh, the early part of Genesis, there in Genesis like 11 and 12 and 13, you start to see portions of this, this promise, this covenant relationship unpacked. It doesn't really come to fulfillment in any form until the beginning of the book of Joshua. Now, you see in the book of Exodus how God helps to set his people free. He uses Moses, who didn't feel like he could be used by God. And then you see them go out in the desert and they wander around for a number of years, 40 years to be exact. But it's like 430 years from the original promise to them leaving Egypt and the Exodus beginning. And then it's another 40 years as they wander around the desert as as God's helping to get the Egyptian mindset and the mindset of slavery out of them so that they can walk into and inherit the promises of God as they walk into this Canaan land And so now there's this process that takes place, and we referenced already the spies that would go out. But then Joshua comes and helps lead them into those promises. But ultimately, this story is kind of a story of family, because it starts with Abraham. And when it starts with Abraham, it works through his children and his grandchildren, and then his nieces and nephews, and you begin to see this family begin to expand and multiply. And when you start thinking about family, I don't know what your context is. I don't know if you think of, you know, like leave it to beaver and some of you don't even get that reference, but it's like, you know, mom, dad and 2.4 kids and a white picket fence. That's your idea of family. Some of you, it's like, what's well, just, it's just me and my spouse. We are a family unit for me. I'm, I'm single. So I'm still kind of thinking family, maybe working back up. I'm thinking me and maybe my mom and dad, or maybe I'm thinking kind of a, a non-nuclear family. I'm thinking kind of the family unit that's around me. Maybe I'm thinking church family. But when we see the idea of family here throughout scripture, we're talking about brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and grandparents and great grandparents and all of these significant others that really could stretch kind of in a 150 year circle around you. Those moving up the family tree and those moving down the family tree from you. That's kind of the family idea when you start thinking about what family might mean. And in so many large ways and in a ton of small ways, the blessings and the sins of your family going back two and three generations, has a profound impact on your life today. You think about your parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles, and you think about the narratives of those that came before you. You and I rest in this pivotal moment in our lives to choose how we take what we have received from those who came before us and what we are going to pass on to those who would come after us. 
And so this children of Israel narrative, as they're working towards the promised land, God is trying to help set them apart. God is trying to give them some guidelines and some guardrails and some things that say, hey, this is how people are going to know when you get to the promised land and even on your journey toward that place, this is how people among you, these pagan nations, this is how they're going to know that you are different than they are. And this is where we come to the Ten Commandments. This is a part of the larger law that would be given to the children of Israel. But in Exodus chapter 20, which is one of two places that the commandments are given, this is what it says at the end of verse 5 and into verse 6. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now at first, this might seem a little harsh. The idea of punishing future generations for the sins of their ancestors doesn't seem quite fair. But again, because the Bible wasn't written in English, sometimes we miss the richness of the text. The word here for punish, and, and I don't, I'm not really great at the Hebrew language, so when I say this, you're going to be like, yep, he's from Cherokee County. But that word is something like pakad. You can do that right in the middle right there. And it means consequences that repeat or consequences becoming fully known. So if you take that understanding of the word, we actually can read God's message to Moses completely differently. The meaning here isn't that the sins of one generation are going to automatically be transferred to the next generations, even to the third and fourth. It actually means that the consequences of the sins of the fathers will be fully known or more and more realized over the next few generations. You think about your family tree. How many of those generations who came before you that had some struggles still exist in your family right now? Because those that came before you that had some struggles and had some issues and worked through some of their own sinful issues and the, the things, the iniquities of their life, how many of those consequences continue to show up in your family at Thanksgiving? Some of the things that you fight about and argue about and some of the addictive behaviors and some of those things that we see over and over and over again, you start to think about alcohol and adultery and divorce and addictive behavior and sibling rivalry and sexual abuse and conflict and crime and more. You notice that many of these behaviors are patterns that can be seen repeatedly over multiple generations of a family. But the opposite is also true. Blessings tend to repeat and reveal themselves generationally too. And so what happens for all of us is you and I, whether you realize it or not, are standing in a moment in time and we have a decision to make today. And you could make an incredible decision today, but you got to go to bed tonight and you don't get an extra hour of sleep, and you may wake up tomorrow and be in a grumpy mood, and you have to make that decision all over again tomorrow. And that question is, what kind of legacy am I going to leave? Because it's not, am I going to leave a legacy? That's not the question. The question is not, am I going to leave a legacy? The question for all of us is, what legacy am I going to leave? Am I gonna leave a legacy of blessing? Am I going to leave a legacy of faithfulness? Am I going to leave a legacy of freedom? Am I going to leave, leave a legacy of, of prayer and, and faithfulness to God and faithfulness to his church? Am I going to leave that kind of legacy? Or am I going to refuse to actually deal with my issues and really allow God to bring freedom into my heart and my life and decide I'm going to put a stake in the ground and say, I don't know what happened back there, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And write that story for the future of our families. And so it's not, am I going to leave a legacy? It's, what legacy am I going to leave? 
1989, a guy named Stephen Covey wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I've, I've quoted it before. I've told portions of this story before. But my dad's a reader. My dad's a reader and he's a writer. He's published like 11 books. So when we start thinking about writing books, it just kind of is a part of the legacy of our family. And so in 1989, my dad got a copy of that book by Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. There are seven habits. They've added an eighth. Evidently, they didn't think of the eighth one when they published it the first time, and they could make more money when they reprinted it with now an eighth you know, effective habit of, I don't know, I got the extra hour, but I'm still bitter about yesterday. So y'all just pray for me. Just working through some stuff. Just working through some stuff. But. So the seven habits that he wrote about in 1989, my dad got a copy of that book, and there's a number of great habits. I encourage you to read it. It's really great stories, really great things there that will help you kind of be more intentional about the way that you live. But one of those habits that I quote all the time, because my dad quoted it all the time, is to see the end from the beginning. And it's the idea that you want to kind of go to the end, and what do you want the story to be? What is it that you want to see at the end? And now you want to work back to where you are now, and you want to live in such a way that you are creating that kind of ending. And so my dad in 1989 had two young sons, and so he's like, okay, what do I want them to know? What do I want them to be able to do when they move out of my house? I got one that's going to move out of my house soon, and I've been thinking about that a lot over the last few years. And it hit me a few months ago, and I told Corey, I was like, there's a ton of stuff he doesn't know. And I feel like a miserable failure. She was like, he's going to figure it out. <laughs> I'm like, well, but I want to help him. I want to help him figure it out, you know? And so my dad said, there's a few things that I want them to know. I want them to know how to manage money. I want them to know how to love God. I want them to know how to pray. And I want them to know how to treat a lady. Those were really the four things. There were a thousand other lessons that he taught us. But those four things were kind of weaving their way through many of the conversations that we had as children and as teenagers. He wants to see the end. from the, When they turn 18, it's not the end of my relationship with them, but it definitely changes the influence that I have over their life. And so that was the end for him, that 18-year, that graduation moment. And so that was him. For you, it could be, hey, you know, what, what do I want the end to look like? And you could go all the way to this thought. I don't mean it in a morbid way. Like, what do I want him to say about me at my funeral? What do I want him to put on the tombstone? What do, what do I want him to say at the graduation? What do I want him to say at the retirement party? I don't know what that end is in your mind. But for the context of our time today, I'm thinking about it in view of legacy. Like, what do I want my children's children to say about their grandfather? What do I want my children's children's children to know about God because I continued to tell the stories of God's faithfulness? What battles do I not want the future generations of my family to have to fight because I just worked them out with God here now in the present? I don't want to leave that kind of legacy of brokenness for the next generations. I want to work through those things with God now. I want to go to that preferred future, to that desired legacy, and see that end. And then I want to work backwards. Because here's what I would say for all of us. If you want to leave a legacy, you have to live a legacy. If you want to leave something intentional for the next generation, you have to live in that kind of way. If you want to leave a legacy of learning, you need to live as a lifelong learner. You want to leave a legacy of faith, you need to live a life of faith. You want to leave a legacy of prayer, you need to live and have a prayer life. You want to leave a legacy of marital faithfulness, you need to live faithfully in your marriage. You want to leave a legacy of godliness, 
You need to live a godly life. And there are thousands of other things that you could do as it relates to legacy. The question is not, am I going to leave a legacy? The question for all of us is, what kind of legacy am I going to leave? And it requires me today to determine that, to see the end from the beginning, to to look towards the future and to try to decide, what do I want to leave for my children and my children's children? What do I want them to know about God? And what things do I want them to have worked through because I was willing to do the hard work today? You heard on the video, I heard a number of the people that, that spoke, and thank you to those that were a part of that. I didn't know you were doing that, but... You heard him say things like, live like it matters. We say that a lot around here. It's written on the wall. It's on some of our things that we give away and some of the things that you can purchase. And we want to live like it matters because we believe that it does. We believe that it matters how you're married and how you parent and how you manage your money and how you worship and how you prioritize things in your life. We want you to live like it matters. But in the context of legacy, I think you could say it even better. You want to live today like tomorrow matters. You want to live today like what you're doing has lasting impact. Because if you don't, then you live today for only today's sake. It's for short-term gain. It's for short-term fulfillment. You run the risk of making short-term decisions that aren't wise in the long term. And I recognize that some of you, you may be sitting there right now and you go, but, but you don't know my past. And guess what? You're right. But legacy isn't about your past. Your legacy is about your future. And that future legacy is forged today. Right now in this moment. It doesn't matter who your dad was and who your mom was and the things that your grandparents struggled with. It doesn't matter the brokenness that existed back there. God can do a new work in you right now. And the blessings and the steadfast love of God can extend to a thousand generations in the future of your family. Because you made that decision today. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter all the hurt and pain that other people have experienced because your legacy isn't about past. That's someone else's legacy. That's someone else's story. You are writing your legacy today. So here's a few closing questions and thoughts for all of us. Maybe you want to jot these down. What decisions do you need to make right now so that your grandkids don't have to? What decisions do I need to make right now So my grandkids don't have to. That this is just who we are. This is what our family does. This is how we trust God. I've told this story before. I want to tell it quickly. My dad's mom, my Meemaw. There's only two women in the world that I called Meemaw. Both of them have now gone on to heaven. But those two Meemaws were good to me. They loved me. They loved their family. They loved their husbands. They loved their children, their grandchildren, and they loved the church. They were both pastors' wives for 40 or 50 years of their life. It's part of my legacy. But one of the things that my dad's mom, my Meemaw, did before she passed away, she wrote down some stories of God's faithfulness, answered prayers, miraculous works of God, times when she didn't know how it was going to work out and how it was going to happen. God just showed up. She wrote those stories down, and she had them bound And she gave one copy to every one of her grandchildren. So that now, when I'm trusting God and believing God and I just don't know how, the legacy of my family is that my grandmother trusted God. 
And my parents trusted God. And I can trust God because we're not just making this thing up today. There's a history of God's faithfulness in my family over and over and over again. What decisions do you need to make today so your grandkids don't have to? Here's another one. What do you need God to set you free from so your children don't have to fight it? There's some of us that are walking through some stuff right now. And you've, you've prayed a thousand prayers. You've done all the steps they told you to take. You've come down and you've snotted all over some carpet and some altars and a million other services in your life. But today could be the day. Because you're just willing to say, hey, I'm going to go down one more time. I'm going to pray one more time. I'm going to go to the meeting one more time. I'm going to exhibit some self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, just one more time. Because I want to fight this battle today because I don't want my kids to have to. It's like, I'm just going to make a decision today to allow God to set me free from some stuff. Because I don't want my kids to show up already bound by something. I just want to find freedom today so they walk into life with freedom feeling like they are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus because their mom or their dad or their aunt or their uncle or their grandparents just took the hard work seriously and said, I'm going to seek freedom as long as it takes so my kids don't have to. And here's the last thought before we pray and take communion. What do you need to do to live a legacy so that you can leave a legacy? What is it that you need to do? What decision do you need to make? What new thoughts do you need to think? What prayers do you need to pray? What relationships do you need to seek forgiveness in? Hurts that you've caused? Healing that you can allow God to work out? What is it that you need to do right now, today, to live a legacy so you can leave a legacy? Because that's what it's all about. The question is not, am I going to leave a legacy? The question is, what legacy am I going to leave? It reshapes everything that we do, every conversation that we have, every decision that we make, if we don't just make it for today, but we live today like tomorrow matters. I'm going to ask you right where you're at, just to bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody's looking around. We're going to pray in just a second, and then we're going to go to a time of communion. But as we close our time today, if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I know the decision that I need to make. I need to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I need him to forgive my sins and to lead my life. I need him to be my Lord, to guide and direct my footsteps. I need to trust him with my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? I want to pray for you. Once you lift your hand, you're not the only one. There's other hands lifted right now. You can put it right down. And now if you would say, Jeremy, for me, I've got some decisions to make. It may not be heaven or hell, but I got some things I got to work on because I want to live a legacy so I can leave a legacy. If that's you, would you lift your hand? My hand's lifted. My hand's lifted a number of us today. Live more intentionally today because we believe tomorrow matters. God, we thank you now for our time. I thank you for everything we've experienced today. Thank you for times of worship and prayer. I thank you for community and fellowship. We got extra sleep, so a bunch of us showed up early and just hugged each other for a while. I thank you for that. It's a family here. I thank you for this place. I thank you, God, for these people. And God, I thank you now for those who've acknowledged their need for you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. 
forgive their sins, be their savior. But God, I pray that you would be their Lord, lead and guide their lives from this moment forward. Let them change the trajectory of their family for generations to come because of this moment right now, right now. God, give them confidence and boldness to trust you and to live by faith like never before. God, I thank you for that. And God, I pray now for those that lifted their hands to say, I want to leave a legacy of blessing. I want to live a legacy of faith. I want to leave to the next generations a form of godliness as I pursue more and more him to make me into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what I want to live because that's what I want to leave. God, help us to do that, to trust you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask our host to come now to prepare to serve you. As we take communion together, we do this about once a month or so, just an opportunity for reflection. They've got some elements there. If you need some gluten-free elements, there's some in the back. I know there's a number of folks in our church that need that. You can go get those at the back door. Raise your hand. But I'm going to ask you just to hold these elements in your hand. I'll come back. Pastor Connor is going to lead us in a moment of worship here as they're being distributed, and then we'll come back and take them together. Jesus, what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We sing, oh precious, oh precious is the flow that makes me white
nothing but nothing but the blood of Jesus you got these elements in your hand today think about legacy man a legacy of obedience and faithfulness Jesus Christ the son of God he came 100% man 100% God uniquely blended together there's never been anybody else like him to walk the earth. He was tempted in every way that we are tempted, yet without sin. And God sent him as a demonstration of his love to us. And he was human. He was God, but he was human. He was in the garden and he said, Lord, if there's any way that this cup of suffering can pass from me, I, I don't know that I'm equipped. It's hard work to make some of the decisions that we're talking about related to obedience, but and then he submitted himself and he said, but not my will. Your will be done. I believe that's where we all have to get to at some point in our life. Say, God, it's not my will. It's not what I want. It's not my desires, my preferences. But your will be done in and through my life. And so today, as we hold these elements, we take this little cracker bread piece. And Jesus said to his disciples on the night he was betrayed, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And what we prayed for you before you walked in this room, our, our team that would serve throughout this day, what we prayed for you is that what we just sang, that the wholeness available to you through God would be found in a moment just like this. If there's anything broken, anything lacking, that God's presence and his power, that the brokenness of Jesus would restore wholeness to you. And so that's what I pray for you now. Let's take and eat together today. It says in the same way he took the cup. He said this is the blood of the new covenant. The new covenant was this idea that Jesus was the once for all time sacrifice. We didn't have to bring sacrifice to the temple anymore. But that that shed blood of Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb according to scripture, was shed for the covering, the remission, the payment for our sins. And the stripes on his back that he bore were for our healing. And so today, wherever you need healing, wherever you need forgiveness, it's found through the blood of Jesus Christ we've been singing about. Let's take and drink together. God, I thank you one more time for all that you've done today among us. I thank you for the chance to gather. I pray we never take it for granted that we get to gather and we get to worship and we get to be together. And so God, I pray now that as we leave this place, that we would come back to this place. But while we are apart, that we would be on your mission to spread the love of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying and hurting world. And for some of us, it begins in our home today. And God, I pray that we would take the example of Jesus Christ of ultimate submission and obedience and that we would live in such a way that we are leaving a legacy to those who come after us. God, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.